Ambition Feed. Hello, I'm Melanie Renaudin and this is Ambition Feed, the podcast that brings you honest conversations from school leaders. Each month we hear from leaders across the UK who share strategies and insights to help every child succeed. We invited two local leaders into our London offices to discuss how to find and keep great staff. Teacher Supply comes up in just about every conversation I have with school leaders. And if you're active on social media, you'll come across the debate every day. That's why we've asked our guests to offer their advice for finding and keeping talented teachers and leaders. My name is Aisha Raymond. I am the Deputy Head at Brettingham Primary School. Um, Our school is based in Enfield and it is within the northern part of Enfield. It's in Edmonton. Um, We serve a community which is very diverse and um, the deprivation is extremely high. Quite a lot of our parents um, do not work. So the thing that we're really working on within our school is aspirations and making sure that children want to achieve. It's really nice to meet you, Aisha. My name's Dan Morrow. I'm the CEO of Woodland Academy Trust, which is a uh, primary school trust based in the southeast of London. We currently have four schools, soon to become five. And we serve, again, a very diverse group of communities. And one of the the real barriers we face is to ensure that the children in our care are reaching their potential. We have a, a range of issues, but fundamentally, we've got some really strong communities who just need the support and challenge of our schools to, to help realise their potential. We've asked Dan and Aisha to discuss recruiting and holding on to great staff, something that I'm sure will resonate with school leaders all over the country. First up, our leaders talk about what staff actually want and how to meet those needs. Aisha, I'm sure like me, one of the things that you're very focused on in your leadership at the moment is ensuring that teachers are able to fulfil that sense of vocation. And and so really, I'm interested from you, from your staff and your perspective, what do teachers need and want in order to feel both supported and challenged to, to fulfil that vocation? Um, I feel really excited about the position that I'm in at the moment because now I'm able to really make a difference in terms of what I can actually do in order to not only help children and make sure that they you know feel fulfilled but also to make sure that teachers do not leave the profession Mm. at the same time because um, statistics show that teachers are working more than 60 hours a week which is absolutely ridiculous and they're burning out so what I've been able to do is been really creative in terms of how to actually reduce their workload and think about different ways around that I remember back to when I was teaching and the thing that used to really, really get to me the most was the marking side of things. At the time, I used to think to myself, who is this for? Who am I actually marking for? Am I marking for the children or am I marking for somebody who's looking at the books? I'd remember like writing pages of pages of, well done, you have met the learning objective. And then the children then responding back to that, which was absolutely pointless. And then some of the children, because quite a lot of our children are EAL, so they don't have English as um, a first language, and they weren't able to actually understand what was actually written. So I'd be spending most of the time within the lesson explaining what was actually written. And how many times have you looked in a year one class where a child has written one line and a teacher has written seven lines of feedback about that one line? Exactly, which they probably can't even read. Of so maybe just read <laughs> a, a few bits of it and that's Or something it. I was absolutely guilty of. I'd spend every Sunday religiously marking every single piece of work get to the lesson on a Monday and the children would would even start to look at the comments and I say no we haven't got time move on and having spent that time myself I completely agree with you 
And so one of the things we've done is absolutely, it's not a no marking policy, but it is a feedback. And absolutely, if a child has a misconception which is addressed through feedback, Mm -hmm. I don't expect a teacher to put VF or verbal feedback in the book because, as you say, who is it for? So can you tell me a bit more about it? Because I want to see how ours is quite different. So essentially what we say to staff is that we expect deep marking um, once a fortnight on for, for children to ensure that their more extended pieces are being addressed. But actually, the very, very best feedback is formative. Mm-hmm. It is in the moment at the, the point of misconception. And so it really is just the operation of classroom culture. Mm-hmm. When I pick up a book... I'm looking to see the progress that a child has made. And so that book signals to me a child's journey. It is not about the teacher and it isn't about the adult. It it gives an indication and a window into the level of skill of a teacher in accelerating that progress. But actually, fundamentally, we need to be looking at books to see what a child is doing. Mm-hmm. That's why one of the things we have got rid of straight away is the idea that that leaders sit with a pile of books doing work scrutiny and tick mm. boxes saying learning objective, tick, mm. success criteria, tick. It's it's transactional and it's not based around, actually around learning. All that's looking at to see is do we have a consistent application of policy? Well, as leaders, we expect consistency of application. But what I want to see is that child growing in their learning and being able to apply what they're learning so to be honest if I don't see a teacher's comments but I see a child thriving I know that teacher's done a great job yeah that's perfect we had to put in a set of non-negotiables in place what we've said we we really went completely down the other line in terms of we said that there's no marking in books at all it was just going to be oral feedback wow I know so it was a real big step and brave it was yeah yeah um and at the beginning, I thought that I was going to get all the support from the staff and everyone was going to want to do it. But staff was quite reluctant mm-hmm. because I think that people feel that they're judged on um, their marking and they thought, you know, well, if if I'm not marking anymore, how are you going to know that I'm doing a good job? But it's not about that. It's about what the children are doing. How can we actually demonstrate that the children have actually made progress within the lesson? So what we've done is we've developed the culture of oral feedback where children are actually responded to straight away. So if there's a misconception that a child has actually done, the teacher responds to that misconception straight away. But we've introduced different colour pens, so the pens are back. (laughs) (laughs) They never quite go away forever. (laughs) But um, we've given the power of the pens to the children. So, for example, if a child has done something and a teacher has moved their learning forward, then we'd say that that has to be in, you know, the child has to have used a red pen to indicate that what the actual teacher has done in order to move that child's learning forward. So it's really, really clear and really explicit. And also we've had to develop the culture of pair and self-assessment. Yeah. So teachers are really, really looking at how children can learn from each other and the ownership of how children can actually drive their own learning forward as well, which is really, really powerful. We had to adapt growth mindset and bring that within the school as well because children were afraid of making mistakes and they saw mistakes as something that they've done wrong and they didn't want to actually take the risks themselves. So we had to say to them, you know, this is your learning opportunity. If you've made a mistake, that's a great opportunity for you to actually learn. So... That was a whole new learning culture as well. We've introduced um, a range of wellbeing initiatives that have come from staff. And the first is that every adult um, is entitled to, in term time, three across a year wellbeing days. And so a member of staff can phone up on a Tuesday and say, 
I'm taking a well-being day today. They don't need to tell us a reason why. Mm-hmm. They don't need to explain. They just need to know that as an adult, they need time and therefore that time will be covered. How do you cover that time? Because um, I'm, I've got to put my colours to the mast here. I'm, yeah. I'm against supply teachers mm-hmm. in the sense that, well, not as a concept, but um, <laughs> I, I yeah. believe that the children need to have known trusted adults in front of them, especially mm-hmm. because in some of their backgrounds, they don't have that consistency. Mm-hmm. And so my senior leaders are non-class based. And mm-hmm. therefore, when the well-being day is taken, the head teacher or a deputy will stand in that day. Okay. And what that also shows is when a midday supervisor takes a well-being day, it's quite important for school culture to know that a deputy or head teacher will do the post that day because it is valued, it is understood, but their well-being is also appreciated. Because one of the first things I heard from staff about the well-being days was unless they knew that someone strong was taking their class, they'd rather not take them. Mm. But then at the same time, Why should our colleagues, and I'll give you a great example of a conversation I had when I came into the trust. In one of my schools, the ethos leader, a very, very strong practitioner, had unfortunately missed her own daughter's year R reception uh, Mm -hmm. performance. Mm -hmm. Now, you know, when we sit and we put on all of these performances, it can be really disappointing when some parents don't turn up and they don't support their child. So how can we as school leaders not allow our own staff to go and be parents Mm. and to enjoy the same experiences? Now, again, in the past, had that been done, it would have been taken as unpaid leave. But a number of our colleagues are are struggling, especially in London, with the cost of living. And so being able to take that as paid leave, staff knowing that it's not just okay to take that day, but it is actively encouraged and wanted is really important because that changes the overall culture. We've heard Aisha and Dan's take on what staff want, but what about getting great staff in the first place? As educators, we spend a lot of time thinking about what motivates and disengages pupils, but how often do we do the same for our teachers and leaders? Next, Dan and Aisha discuss these motivations and successful methods for recruiting good teachers and leaders. Now, recruitment is clearly key for all of us, so I'm really interested to know how you've taken a creative approach to recruitment or also I suppose what a creative approach actually means or looks like. We've tried to be quite strategic in terms of how we actually recruit staff so we've been thinking about it in terms of not looking at the budget Mm -hmm. but looking at what the trends show so year on year probably about one to two teachers will leave um, which is quite quite a low number because it's a two form entry school but at the same time it's about thinking what can we do in order to make sure that we still have good staff working within the school. So we have a culture which we say is like a more of like grow your own culture. So um, we look for TAs who have got the potential to actually be teachers and we'll train those TAs up to be teachers. So we'll encourage them to take, for example, the teaching route um, and we'll support them with CPD, days out and just give them the encouragement to actually know that, you know, that they would be really, really good teachers. The good thing about using TAs is the fact that they actually worked in the school for a very long time, so they understand the school culture, they understand what works well within the school, what doesn't work well within the school, and they're fully embedded in the actual school. They know the parents, they Absolutely. know the teachers, the, they've got a very good relationship with quite they, a lot of different people. They are your champions at the gate each day and every day. Exactly. Because they live and, and breathe in that community. And I always think that a number of the TAs and support staff are the, they're the true guardians of the school because mm. they're often there before a school leader and before various class teachers and they will still be in that institution afterwards. Yeah. And 
I think sometimes support staff can be undervalued for mm-hmm. the huge impact they have on, on culture and climate. Yeah. And so has it has that worked out for you? Yeah, it has. Um, so at the moment, we've got four TAs who have actually trained up to be teachers. Wow. Which has been brilliant, really good. There's been two TAs two years ago who was in reception. Um, and now they're in year four, so they've actually moved key stages as well, which has been really good and um, good for their confidence Absolutely. as well. And they're just they're just flourishing within the school. And they provide aspiration themselves. Yeah, exactly. And it makes other people think, you know, if they can do it, then we can do it too. We've been using technology, for example, and the use of Twitter, the use of Facebook and the use of LinkedIn has actually revolutionised our recruitment. In 1617, for every advert we put out in, in both national education press and locally, we received 1.4 applications per post. Since September this year, we haven't used any of those national publications. Instead, we've just used LinkedIn and we've used Twitter and we've received on average 14 applications per post. That's impressive. Well, one of the things that really surprised me, and, and believe me, it's not about my my uh, own reach, but I advertised a post on LinkedIn, and within three weeks, it had had a reach of just over 20,000. Now, what's incredible about that is this is where being a, a future leader and part of Ambition School Leadership, I think, really helps, because our network means that we've got very strong leaders out there mm-hmm. who look and share, and then their networks look and share, and then suddenly... A, a, a small trust in the southeast of London is able to reach more people than I ever could dream of in terms of any other traditional routes. And, and so for us, technology has been huge. I've got to admit, I'm not particularly good at it, mm-hmm. but I am certainly trying because I recognise that for the next cohort of our colleagues coming through, that is what they're used to. And when I've had conversations with some of our beginner teachers and schools direct, they only look on LinkedIn mm-hmm. and they only look through social media. They do not look at the traditional means. So I suppose for us, it's been about making sure that we are, we're reaching colleagues where, where they're looking. Is it on your Twitter page that you do it? Absolutely. Okay. So Twitter and LinkedIn. And also um, it's about been about sharing through some of the university contacts we have. So we're linked with the University of Greenwich. Mm-hmm. Now, I know that you've linked with providers as well to become a bit of a teaching school what I'm I'm really interested in that because we haven't done that so Mm -hmm. so what is that all about we've basically looked at different teaching schools so for example we're working with three local universities okay and with that we speak to the universities and we've got a good relationship with them we find out and they find out from us what sort of candidate we're looking for and we really get them to come in get them to actually look at the actual cohort so that we they know that the person they'll be bringing in will actually match and you know be a good match for our school and the great thing about that is the candidates that we've got come in they're very very keen they want to learn and they've fit in really well with the school normally they're based quite close to the school as well because it's local universities we're using they're based quite close to the school and if you get someone in their final placement or just before their final placement they're looking for jobs as well Wonderful. and okay. where they've actually worked in the school for six weeks they fully understand the school like our approach with the teaching assistants yeah. they've got used to the staff they've been trained by um, a good teacher as well within the school and they fully fully understand the processes within the school and, the and great their local role models exactly yeah and the children know them and the parents know them and it's been great we've actually recruited um, a number of teachers that way it's been really good it's nice being able to target the local market I suppose yeah I'm a real believer in you you recruit 
staff based on their heart. Yeah. Because if they're aligned and they have that sense of vocation and mission, then you can train the head. You mm-hmm. can train the skills needed. Yeah. You can have someone who's very, very gifted, but if they don't have that alignment, it's much more difficult to train the heart. And so those conversations, you start to unpick Mm. who those candidates are and therefore whether they're right for the children we serve. Yeah. How would you understand in terms, because I know that you recruit people in terms of their moral purpose. Absolutely. How do you know whether or not someone has the same moral purpose as the trust? Well, it goes back to your point. I think sometimes having those conversations and actually just asking them why are they going into teaching what is the purpose of education in their view and for me I test out if I'm honest with you um, in conversation is it about social justice for them Mm -hmm. is it have they got a commitment to social mobility do they believe that education is fundamentally about liberating do they do they also wish to see society more equal for me those questions are the key points of why we do what we do. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think with um, staff, you need to just ensure that it isn't about um, a, a lack of clarity from them about what they're doing and why they're doing it. Because if they don't have that sense of purpose and goal, then I'm sure they could go on to be a, a fine teacher, mm. just not in my trust. Finally, our leaders share their insights on the secret to keeping talented teachers and leaders whether that's ensuring new wellbeing initiatives work for them or enabling staff to be creative in their work. In your opinion, Aisha, who within a school is the most important when it comes to retaining staff? I think everyone's got an equal role um, and it doesn't just rely on the head teachers and the deputy heads. Um, I've got an example of this. We go away on leadership days and we came up with, we thought it was a fantastic idea. On a Friday, everyone would go home, they can have their PPA at home and they can have half a day to do whatever they wanted. We thought that staff would buy into it. Uh We thought that what would be the problem with that? We'd cover it in terms of we'd make sure that There'd be lots of things in place for um, the children in the afternoons. And in terms of the amount of um, way in which we could actually free up the um, additional members of staff. So, for example, the HLTAs who are used at the moment for cover, covering people's PPA throughout the week, they wouldn't have to do that anymore. They'd actually be able to be used to do specialised interventions to meet the needs of all the children throughout the week. And we wouldn't have the problem if someone was off how that would be covered because we'd have people free in order to do that. So we didn't understand why people wouldn't go ahead with it, but we thought that we need to ask staff. We can't just, you know, impose this on staff. So one of our ways in which we ask staff is for a survey monkey because it's anonymous and people are more likely to be honest Agreed. if um, <clears throat> they don't know that it's you, that if they, you know, they're, they're not traced back in terms of who's actually um, answered the specific question. So it was a very simple survey monkey, three simple questions, and it was a resounding no. Mm -hmm. People did not want to do it. And it was very surprising when we actually unpicked, because the third question was, um, can you explain your answers as to why? And they said that um, at the moment, within within the actual timetable, the curriculum is so squeezed. Yeah. So in order to squeeze it even further, how would we be expected to make sure that everything is covered? They just thought that it was unrealistic Mm -hmm. in terms of that. So I think it's really, really important that we're not just doing things to staff, even though we think it's a really great idea. And I still do go by that idea and I still do think that it's a really good idea. 
but um, making sure that staff are on board and we didn't go ahead with that because that's what's important in terms of making sure that you know that everyone is aligned and happy with the decisions that we're making but it's so interesting isn't it because as senior leaders so many of the things we we say and do which is always to help staff can actually make life harder mm, and that's true. why I, I genuinely believe that middle leaders are the key here because they are closest to the chalk face in terms of knowing what colleagues needs and wants are and so I genuinely believe that middle leaders have to be brought into every conversation because the danger as senior leaders within schools is we can become we can be in a little bit of an echo chamber where we're listening to our own views and our especially when we've decided we're going to be very strategic about something as soon as it's strategic then it's a wonderful idea and it's going to help everyone and then we ask the staff and they point out all of the reasons why it's not a good idea. Yeah. And I think you're spot on. Yeah, I agree with everything that you're saying. I think it's really important to make sure that children's outcomes are not affected by retention issues. Mm-hmm. Do you have any examples of how you've done that? Again, I've looked at the most recent research which from the Sutton Trust, which shows that retention of staff is the greatest lever to student progress. And we haven't discussed it like that up till now. No. We've looked at various strategies. The biggest example I can give you is in September 2016 in my trust, we lost a considerable amount of staff at the Christmas period. Mm-hmm. Um, this year, we didn't lose any. Now, when I look to why we've retained, I think there are a number of reasons that we've already touched on. Um, but the biggest reason is staff, I think, understand the importance of consistency and the importance of staying with a group of children to see them through. Now, if you give them the right tools and the right frame frame of mind, really, to achieve that, mm-hmm. then I think that retention then follows. We've been very explicit with staff in saying that we want to grow and develop our own. And so when I arrived, we were spending a lot of money on supply teachers, which we no longer do, mm-hmm. because those supply teachers were, were filling a gap, but they weren't allowing our children to thrive and to make progress. And in the communities we serve, lots of strangers is not going to help my children. No. My children are, the children within our trust are very much, um, they're very open, but they need consistency and they need absolutely the stability of staffing. So we have introduced something called what cares the woodland academy trust cares and it's based around the five values that we see as most important and and those values are are all driven by moral purpose and one of the interesting ones in there is stewardship mm-hmm. yes because often we have aspiration and integrity and compassion and respect but the stewardship the idea that those adults are truly responsible for those children, not just in terms of their academic outcomes, but also as as little people, as, as, as young learners in life. And for me, it's really important when we speak to staff that they understand their role in forming character, mm-hmm. in forming a, a productive and positive individual who's going to, to give into society. And therefore... I think the retention is based on all individuals understanding their sense of mission. Mm-hmm. And when I, when I think I've, I've been proudest in September is when I spoke to a um, midday supervisor in one of my schools and, and asked how her day was going. 
and she said it was going very well and I said I'm, I'm really glad you're here and you enjoy your doing your job what do you enjoy most and her role her answer straight away was I enjoy helping to instill in these children the expectations that will see them as successful Amazing. and I thought if staff at every single level understand what our mission as a trust is mm-hmm. then we retain our staff but most importantly we give the children the opportunities they deserve lovely that's brilliant um, as you were talking I was thinking about um what makes our school really unique and I think that it's quite similar in terms of driven around the moral purpose um, and when I speak to different members of staff and I ask them year on year why is it that you stay because people stay within our school they stay for years and years um, and they don't leave Yeah. and why is that what is it that makes you stay and they say that the school is very very unique we don't use schemes at all no Um and we are bringing back the creativity within the children and also within the staff so they're able to teach how they want to teach and that's why quite a lot of people went into teaching can agree more yeah they're not being treated as robots they're able to be free and they're happy that's it for this episode of ambition feed thanks to dan and aisha for joining us today and sharing their insights we'd love to hear from you too what's your top tip for finding and keeping great teachers and leaders You can join the conversation over on our Facebook group or on Twitter. Head to ambitionschoolleadership.org.uk forward slash feed for more information. Join us next time when we'll be joined by Ambition School Leadership experts who will take a look at the conversation on Ambition Feed around finding and keeping great staff. Bye for now.